Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, we hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company, but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we are passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow. And I'm Dwayne Drawn. Through our 40 years of combined dirt under the nails experience, we look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello, welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast. This is your host, Joshua Gillow, alongside my trusty sidekick, Dwayne Drum. What's going on, Dwayne? Nothing much, my man. Just uh, working like crazy, uh, jumping through all the hoops and just making it all happen. You know how that works. Oh yeah, brother. I know that always seems like this Tuesday was a marathon for all of us. We've had some just nonstop back-to-back stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I tell you what, it's been a really, um, interesting three weeks, you know, like it's, it's been a lot. I mean, vacation, we were working out in Kentucky, then we get back and I mean, we had some stuff to do all last week. So it's really interesting how much work I have not done in the office and how the business is still operating. Like it's sort of a, I'm sort of surprised that uh, I didn't think I had the systems in place, but it looks like the systems are in place and it's working. <laughs> yeah, that's your best way to figure out if it's working or not. Get the hell out of town for two weeks and come back and see if it's still standing. Yeah, <laughs> if yeah. it is, you're good. If not, start putting some sticks under yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I had to chase a little bit of invoices. You mean get some revenue back up, but you mean there was enough yeah. sitting to maintain it. So that's about it. <laughs> no, that's awesome. But that, that is really the best way to do it is just get the hell out of town. Because if you're here, you're going to try to fix the gaps and fix the holes in the boat. But if you're gone, you'll know if the ship's going to sink or not you'll find out pretty damn quick yeah we found out really fast so it's working that's awesome that's good that's good it's definitely heading in the right right direction so today we have a special guest on he's a father a husband entrepreneur author and a four times iron man he was born in nebraska grew up in scotland and moved to arizona in 1999 he then started integrated landscape management and grew that business to over 20 million and 350 employees before he sold it he also has the commercial landscapers podcast so without any further ado robert clinkerbeard how you doing i'm good thanks how are you I'm guys doing fantastic man fantastic how's cool good to see you both again yeah, absolutely hey robert let, let, let me give me a podcast s- and, robert let me get yeah. some stereotypes out the way you were not born in scotland what no <laughs> can you not can you tell where my accent? <laughs> you have an accent. I was born, born, born in a small town in uh, Nebraska, Grand Island of Nebraska. I, I heard Josh give the the like the the interview thing, and I'm thinking like, did he get it wrong? He said born in Scotland and he lived in Nebraska. So I, I, I'm sort <laughs> of even with the last name and everything, that's not right. You like? <laughs> well, it's funny when I when I go abroad and come back through you know customs and passport control give them the password, they look where I was born, and then my accent kicks in, and I talk to them, and I get this weird looks all the time. <laughs> it's so, like two uh, things don't add up here, so it's not quite right. They don't add up, yeah. You give me that funny look. Should we let this guy in or not? Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, my, my son is actually, uh, <laughs> my my stepson, his last name is Ramadani. 
okay, like try flying back with him. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. You go in that yeah, line. Yeah, you go in that line and you, you get yeah. butt naked. Yeah. That line, like far, far away. Exactly. And it's African. You see the gloves come out. And the crazy part is it's African. It's not even like, you know what I mean, whatever they want to call it. It's African, which right. is the crazy part. So this so the stereotypes in this world is amazing what we do to each other. Oh yeah. That's sure no that's funny. No doubt that. So Robert. What was it like growing up in Scotland? I don't know much about Scotland. What's it like there? Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful place. People are great, uh, very passionate people, super friendly people. It's uh, green. It's tons of amazing whiskey. Uh, home of golf, of course. Nice. So, yeah, it's, it's a really cool place. But it, it can get pretty depressing in terms of it's, um, you know, it can rain a lot. Can get pretty bleak during the winter when the hours, you know, the light hours are, are very short. So that's part of the reason why we like to drink a lot over there. <laughs> something to do, right? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, something to do. But no, amazing people. I, I love going back there. My family's still across there. So uh, yeah, I can't say enough about Scotland. Yeah. That's fantastic, man. So, all right. So then you moved back to the, uh, you know, actually moved to Arizona in 1999. How old were you when you moved back? Oh, sure, my age now. I was probably about 35 ish. Um, and yeah, just I got you know, fed up with, I'd say, the weather, lack of opportunities in Scotland. And uh, I just thought, you know what? I, life is too short. I want to be able to explore. I love traveling. So just went back to Arizona just to sort of figure out, you know, do I want to stay there? Do I want to move to a different state? And I ended up um, just, you know, settling down in Arizona and then started my business in 2001. That's amazing. That's wild because I've been thinking about getting out of America for new opportunities and thinking life is too short. And here you are coming back to America. So that's that's pretty interesting. So I guess it's the grass is not greener. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for me, again, amazing people in Scotland, but um, I'm not sure what happened there, but in terms of um, just not very entrepreneurial, they're not very uh, pro-business. There's not a great deal of um, push to be successful over there. So uh, I just felt as though, you know, if at any time anybody got successful over there, I felt as though there was that big movement to try and chop them down a little bit. Mm. So, you know, when I came across actually to Scottsdale to visit, you know, I just saw these people in, you know, beautiful cars, beautiful houses, and these were their second or third houses. And I said to myself, hey, I'm, I'm doing something wrong here. Why are all these people living like this? Mm -hmm. And I dug a little bit further and, you know, sure enough, a lot of them were business owners or, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs and, and just doing really well. And I said, well, how, how do I get some of this? How do I level up in, in my lifestyle? And that was probably one of the biggest drivers that I thought, you know what, I want to want to see what that American dream looks like. And um, yeah, I moved over in 99 and uh, never looked back. Yeah. When you weigh the difference in between Scotland entrepreneurship and then America, does do they like enjoy, do they like foster more family and enjoyment in life better in Scotland? Um, is that is that one of the differences? Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, I think there's definitely a, 
an element of yeah a lot more family focused there's um I, I think a little bit more reliance on the government to take mm. care of you. I think that's just how the UK has, you know, developed over the years. I mean, yes, of course, there's, there's certainly some pockets of um, business mindset people over there and entrepreneurs, but I think overall there's certainly just a reliance on the government. You live a slightly lesser lifestyle. And um, yeah, people just—they're—they're they're not really exposed to anything else. They're not really exposed to that better type of lifestyle unless they do travel around the world and their eyes are opened. And that's—that's that's certainly what happened okay. to me. Hmm. Now, did you when you came here in 1999 and went to you know Scottsdale? Was, did you already know what you wanted to do, or did you kind of come here and figure it out? You know, I, I had my background in in horticulture. I. Got my degree back in Scotland. I was in charge of the city parks over there, so that was certainly where my passion was, and you know where my experience was. But I was I was open to anything. Um, you know, actually, when I first started across in Scottsdale, I was doing changing out fire sprinkler heads just to, you know, get ingrained into the the culture there. I mean, I had no social security number, I had no credit history, so it took me a while really just to sort of try and figure things out and. You know, it took, I'd say it took me probably two or three years to really figure things out. And then then I started to think about, well, what do I want to do? And it was only after networking and talking to other entrepreneurs and getting pushed a little bit towards starting up my own business, I thought, oh, maybe I should give this a go. I mean, I've nothing else stopping me. I don't really have anybody relying on me. So, yeah, I just jumped into it in 2001 and, um, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't. Uh, I yeah, I really am happy I made that move. Otherwise, I keep thinking about what I would have been doing back in Scotland, and it's it's night and day the difference. Wow, that's really incredible. Now, uh, so you come out here. Tell us about how you started. You know, your business is exactly what you focused on because. You know, going from zero to twenty million and three hundred fifteen employees—that's pretty damn spectacular. So I'm curious how you got there and what kind of time frame that looked like, and maybe even some of the hurdles you hit on the way through. Yeah, I mean, we did it in uh, 15 years, okay. so it's pretty rapid growth. Um, didn't have any concept that we would grow that quickly. So, yeah, we just started off in, in the commercial sector. We just went, we skipped the whole residential side, but, you know, there's challenges in both ways. So we, you know, we would um, do all the landscape work during the day, the grass cutting, the shrub trimming. And then at uh, after hours, we would go out to network with people we'd, um, meet other business owners, meet some high-end residential people, and just slowly started to get more and more work. And you know, as the business got bigger, then we had that ability to then hire, you know, other managers, other people to help us out, so that we, then we could work on the business. Mm-hmm. And it was just really making sure we're surrounded by really good people. And allowing us to sort of continually work and growing the business. That that's how we scaled the business so quickly. We had a great reputation. You know, we had some good um, um, backing financially. So yeah, it all worked out really great. Yeah, what were you guys doing to like say your networking is is one of the things that uh, Josh and I preach about, like proximity's power, networking is king. What were you guys doing? um in the evenings was it like going to bars was it going to networking events like what what did that look like it was it was mainly going to networking events so you know there's big organizations like ifma boma um 
uh, you know, the homeowners associations, CIA, um, or CEI, I should say. Now, yeah, just going, getting really involved a bit, not only attending the events, but then, you know, what, what can we do to then join a committee? What can we do then to build the trust of um, the people that are meeting there rather than just going out there and passing out cards? I mean, that's so people, people are so put off by that. But really, how do we get take that relationship from a tier one to a tier three level, hanging out with them, having dinners with them, taking them out for for drinks? So that's that's the things we were doing at, uh, during the evenings. That's awesome. Yeah, I can definitely see how that'll start to build that trust and rapport. And once you know one or two and then five or 10 and then 20 or 50 and pretty soon it just keeps expanding and expanding and you know, it's a lot easier if somebody can, you know, refer you and say, this is a good person to talk to, you know, Robert's the guy you need to talk to about your HOA. This guy's been doing this forever. And pretty soon you just start picking these pieces up. Is that how you felt that happened? Yeah. I mean, I think once you start building that trust with certain clients, I mean, a lot of them don't have necessarily, you know, one property, they might have several properties. Um, and then not only do you do a good job for them, then they're referring you to other people. But I mean, trust is so key. And then I think one of the differentiators for us was, you know, when a lot of landscapers unfortunately have that reputation for, you know, beat up trucks, dirty trucks, landscape debris flying everywhere. But, you know, we made a really good job of sort of trying to professionalize our, our company. And that was through, you know, nicer trucks. Everybody was in uniforms, you know, nice branding and logos on the trucks. We kept them all nice and clean. We actually had a power washing company come in every couple of weeks, clean up our trucks. So it really made a huge effort to take our company professionalism to another level. Um, and that was one thing. But then the second thing with that is that we always turned our company into almost – Landscaping was secondary, but we took our company to more of that being a sales and marketing company, mm -hmm. meaning that, you know, we were training our team or account managers or, or landscape professionals in the field to know how to sell to their clients, know to how that have that sales conversations. We brought in, you know, Sander sales training. Uh, we, you know, we were constantly pushing our professionals to go out and give proposals, follow up with proposals. We put sales targets on them. So that was really, again, some of the big drivers for their rapid growth. And not only the rapid growth, but you know, high profitability as well, uh, becoming that sales and marketing machine. So every time you know somebody came in, then you know that's it, it, we had that whole sales process stopped. Yeah. Hey, I love that. Don't mute that. Like, keep that going. That that's real. I, I don't mind the phone ringing. <laughs> like, it just this is real. You I mean we're talking to a really important guy, and he has a lot going on. So don't mute that. Just keep that popping. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. This is it's an office phone that I don't have any control over. No worries. Yeah. If it's ringing. That's a good so, thing. Right? So during the growth of this operation, you know, you're bringing in new employees. How did you manage that financial aspect? Were you getting outside loans? Were you saving money up for several months? The, Talk about how you put your team together. So initially, we, you know, we did, you know, I sold my truck. We used a lot of credit card debt just to sort of get our, um, the business off the ground. But, you know, we knew pretty early on that we were, we struggled with the financial part of the business. So, you know, we hired a, hired a good bookkeeper. And it was only probably after two years in business that we were able to even to approach the banks. I mean, banks wouldn't even look at us the first couple of years just because we're such a new company. 
but you know, probably after two, two and a half years, we we probably got maybe seventy five thousand as a line of credit. And as we built up that credit history, you know, we had good reputation out there. Then we started to increase our line of credit. So, you know, and I think another game changer for us was, you know, initially we were making the stake of we were billing our monthly reoccurring, uh, you know, lawn service maintenance at the end of the month. And we said, well, why, why are we doing this? Um, we actually had a consultant come in and give us a nudge, but we ended up changing that to billing at the beginning of the month. So that by the time they paid after 15 or 30 days, you know, it was usually by the time we finished our service. So that was a big game changer in just helping to cash flow a business. Yeah. Nice. No, that's awesome. So let's go back to, you mentioned something earlier about having each one of your team members, quote unquote, be salespeople for the, for the company. Um, when did you realize that'd be a good idea? How did that affect your business and how did that impact your growth with, with that mindset? Uh, I don't know if you've ever come across something called Chet Holmes. So Chet Holmes wrote a book, I think, called The Sales Machine. So a few of the, you know, my partner and I, and we had, I think, one of the other leaders, we went to a Chet Holmes event and just came away thinking, wow, we, we, we're not even scratching the surface on what our sales messaging or marketing looks like. So from that moment onwards, we actually brought in that company to help develop sales messaging, sales tools, or elevator pitch. So it was a real campaign. We probably spent about six months really dialing that in, even to the point where if we went in to do sales presentations to clients or um you know, property managers, then it was really dialed in. We had a PowerPoint presentation in place. We knew what we we're going to see at every single slide. But, you know, it took yeah. us six to nine months to really dial that in. But once we dialed that in and really addressed the pain points for our clients, it almost felt as though we were just, we were bringing in new accounts hand over fists because it almost we felt as though we'd really hit the uh, point of, um, you know, that, that pain point of clients, I, nobody had ever done that before. So it was, it was huge for us, a big game changer. No, oh, it's really cool. I know that we've, you know, we figured that out along the way as well at, you know, oftentimes businesses focus on sales being a one person or a one group task and everyone else just does their thing. But in reality, the entire team speaking the same sales language, the same, you know, hot buttons, the same pain points that the clients have and constantly know how to, you know, come back with a great statement or come back with a solution for them and having the same dialogue throughout, no matter who they're talking to in the company, whether it's the front lines or it's the designer or it's the estimator or it's the people installing. And I mean, having that dialogue always about the same really helps with that, you know, the communication side of things so that the client can feel like they're kind of all well handed by one large hand, as opposed to 50 little hands that have different opinions about everything. And like, don't listen to George. George is what he's talking about. This is how you're supposed to do this. And <laughs> when you start seeing that come into a group, what happens is you start losing trust and the client starts thinking, wait a minute here, is that just one person's idea? What about the other ones that are actually building this project or the other ones actually designing this project? And they don't even believe the same stuff that their boss is telling them or whatever. You know what I mean, so having that uh, everyone rowing in the same direction is, is huge when it comes to building that trust and rapport with your customers. No, for sure. And one of the big game changer eye openers for us was we did um, some exercises where we did some role playing. Mm -hmm. 
and just to hear some of the stuff that was coming out of their mouths <laughs> was just like, oh my word, do I have um, some managers seeing that to our clients? Yeah. So it was definitely um, <laughs> eye-opening for us. So from that moment onward, we made sure we did um, role-playing every single week. It's important. Just talking about a, a topic or a subject and really tweet every single week. So it, it became really comfortable for them. That's super important, the role-play side. And that's why, you know, here with our, our program, our sales program, it's 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 weekly role-play. And it's some of the most embarrassing things at times, especially when the guys and gals come in the first times around. They've they've never played role-play before. And, you know, it's uh, it's interesting because then they hear themselves talk and then they mess up and they're like, I'm like, you actually say that to people? <laughs> Just to your point, you know what I mean? You're like, <laughs> really, you actually have that kind of a conversation? No, no, no. Here's how we're going to do it. And here's how you, 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 you bring out this word. And here's how you pause. And here's how you have an up inflection with a question and and you start people do that naturally but they're never aware of it and once they become aware of it they can do it better because what you can what you can see you can actually measure right so it's uh it's so much fun the the role play side of things and a little awkward in the beginning but yeah. so powerful throughout oh yeah especially if you record it oh no doubt no camera. doubt especially like week one we have you know eight <laughs> weeks in our process seven weeks of direct and you know it's like the first week and then you show them at the last week to like who the hell is that person like i don't even recognize who they mm -hmm. are it's so yeah. much fun that way that's really cool yeah. so for sure now as far as um Obviously, you grew a very large business pretty quickly. So what are some of the challenges you ran into along that way? You mentioned financing in the beginning until you got more established. But what are some things that you ran into and how did you solve some of those problems? Uh, probably people would be the biggest mm -hmm. thing. You know, I think at a certain point, I felt as though the business was getting so big that I wasn't able to keep in touch with my clients. So we went through a process of really finding some key managers that we actually got from the golf course industry. And brought them in as account managers and then coached and developed them to become eventually branch managers. So they eventually became my four branch managers, three in Phoenix, one up in Vegas. And again, they were just rock stars. I mean, you know, initially they were coming in and they were looking at, there's like a revolving door in my office where I was giving them all the answers. And yeah, there's a little bit of the ego there. But I thought, well, I'm really enabling those managers uh, so I changed it in terms of when they came in asking to fix a problem, I said, well, how would you deal with mm -hmm. it? So it, it developed them into becoming better managers, better leaders. And through time, I mean, it, they were running almost like their own little mini company. They were looking anywhere from three to seven million mm -hmm. of branches. And they were dealing with, you know, all the revenue. They were dealing with the sales. They were dealing with all the operations. And um, I think it was just through that careful mentoring and coaching over the years that helped. And then the second piece of that is giving them direction of where the company is going. So everybody was completely aligned. So we had some revenue numbers. We had some, um, you know, we had some growth challenges. We were going to different markets, but we all knew where we were going and each of them knew exactly what they needed to do to be part of that, you know, effectively part of that roadmap. So, you know, they had, every single week they would report on their sales numbers, we would report on their gross margin for labor, material charges. And again, it allowed that alignment amongst the team and they knew where they needed to pick up or hit their targets and 
so that allowed every area to work independently from me and I was able to then come in and check in them you know, weekly, monthly. It allowed me to do my trips, allowed me to do my Ironman racing 20 plus hours a week. And that was only because I took the time in hiring the right people to run those different branches and divisions for me. If I didn't have that, then there's no way that company could have grown and we went on to that eventual sale. Robert, I hear a lot of guys saying there's, um, uh, it's very tough to make money, like in maintenance, mowing and things like that. Um, how did you pull that off? Like, where was it at? Um, yeah, maintenance, the, that recurring revenue is nice because, you know, it does improve your valuation that you can rely on that, that monthly income coming in. But I think the key for us was, you know, building that sales machine. So then we were able to upsell on work within that maintenance accounts. So we were selling anywhere from 80 to 120% value of that maintenance contract in enhancements on that job. Okay. And not only were we having that amount of upselling, but we were also making really nice margins anywhere from 50 to 60 to 65%, depending on the type of work. So those are the, again, real game changers for us is that, yeah, maintenance is almost gets you in the door and it's nice to have that reoccurring revenue to pay the bills, but where you make the money is on all the upgrades, all the tree pruning, flower planting, mulch or granite, wherever you are in the country. And um, yeah, you make some good margin on that. And you've built that trust with the client. So it's a relatively easy sell. So maintenance was sort of, because I hear this a lot and you hear from like larger companies. So maintenance were more or less your sort of your marketing engine. And from that point, you basically manage your upsells and you grew the business from that. Yeah, maintenance was definitely, you know, we, we, you, we attracted them by competitive pricing to get them in the door, built up that trust with them. And then once we were in that door and we built up that trust, then we had this professional sales and marketing campaign to sell them on upgrades on the yeah, property. We were, we were, when I used to have a maintenance locker company with a commercial account, we were like $36,000 a year to maintain this property. And uh, four years, we managed it, maintained it. And after the fourth year, I get a phone call from the director and she says, hey, you know, I love you guys. You guys are doing amazing work. But she said, my whole office is looking at a bid for 18,000. And I'm like, you know, first you downplay the company, like 18,000, that's gonna be a garbage company, blah, 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 blah. And she said, no, it's not a garbage company. And it was like, you mean Brickman. So I'm sitting here looking like they undercutted us you mean by, by almost half, how in the world were they doing that? And we're like, I mean, we were making money, but it was, it's really just three of us running this company. We're maintaining these properties and they undercut us by I mean half. Uh, but I look as they were working about a year in, I look up and I drop, you know, you drive past an anger, like, you know, I mean, efforts, they took my job. You know I mean? You look over and there's this big, huge brick paver, you mean, thing going in, there's trees going in. It's probably like a half a million dollar project going on. And um, they were obviously involved in it. So they knew how to upsell, get in for some cheap prices. And then just their salesman probably just kept whacking them in the head for changes every other day. It's probably what happened. Yeah. 
Yeah, that and also just, you know, is there is there a genuine way that you can maintain a property a little bit more efficient? Is there other properties nearby which they're already doing? So it makes the, the windshield time between properties a little bit easier. So, you know, there's multiple different things that we looked at. Again, when we had a big property that came up to bed, you know, we looked at it from 10 different angles just to see well, how tight can we get it? How much money do they typically spend on capital improvements? A year, uh, what's coming down the pipeline? Um, so yeah, they, that, that's typically what we did when we really sliced and diced a, a new uh, opportunity that came in. Okay, the door. so there was there was a completely different look at it because when we hit the property, it was our entire day. Like I said, it was three guys, one truck, and we had our machines. They probably pull up with four or five trucks, knock it out in three hours, and they're hitting three or four other properties on that same day. So I see what you're saying. And then their salesman is probably meeting with them once a month and going over improvements and changes. So there's a totally different mindset on how they approached it. Yeah. Um, we approach it like it was the, like Josh says, the homecoming queen. They, they've already been boning the homecoming queen. <laughs> that's funny now robert you mentioned before about coaching your team and, and leading them and all of that now to our listeners out there that are either new business owners or um you know trying to grow their business how did you get the tools you needed as a team to be able to coach and mentor your team to grow you know what I mean? Because how did you get them? Because you obviously have to be, you know, further down the runway in order to help others along the way. So what did you find that help in that direction? Yeah, probably two or three different sources. I, I you know, myself had a, a coach. I had consultants come in. I had fractional CFOs come in just at different stages of my business. Um, I joined a business group called Entrepreneurs Organization, EO. And again, surrounded by other business owners, different sizes, different industries, and I learned a lot from them. So I, I really, and, you know, that group even had, you know, speakers, presenters. As I say, one of them was at Chet Holmes. We had Vern Harris was scaling up. So I just tried to soak in as much of that education and learning that I could. And rather than just go back and, you know, vomit all over my team with all this information. I'm just very selective and what two of the things that we can adopt to improve the business every single year. And so that's where we came up with using platforms like, you know, Traction EOS, mm -hmm. then moved into the scaling up and just to build that roadmap and develop some rocks and some of the things that we were going to work on during the next 12 months. And, and you know, it was important to not only share that, but to get the buy-in from your teams because, yeah, it's all very well you coming back and say, I want to do this, this, and this, but it's not going to get anywhere unless you get buy-in from your you know, managers. So I was just very careful about what information I consumed and then what information I shared and suggested that we implement in the company. I love that, especially EOS, Gino Wickman, you know, and also he's so smart. He actually has books for the, uh, for the employees as well to read and understand, you know, what, what's in it for me? Why should I care? Why should I go after this crazy harebrained idea the boss has, right? But it puts them in perspective yeah. and that's quite an incredible book an incredible, uh, concept. The, uh, you know, EOS is quite amazing for sure. Um, and yeah. we talk about that a lot being, you know, if you want to grow your business, you're going to have to get around people that have already done it. 
And for them, what you're struggling with is something they might've struggled with 20 years ago or 10 years ago. And they're already, you know, eons beyond that. And they can show you the paths around those pitfalls and, and help you through those spots. But sometimes, especially as guys in this, you know, in the industries, regardless of the industry, we have our egos that sit out there in our shirt sleeves and we're too proud to ask for help. You know what I mean? It's like, oh man, if somebody tells me I'm doing it wrong, what the hell is that going to mean to me? And oh my goodness. So, you know, how do you manage that? How do you manage that in a team if they kind of stuck in their ways and how does mindset and shifting of mindset change that for you? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's huge right there. Um, yeah. I mean, you do have to change your mindset. You do have to figure out, you know, there's no way you're going to get to that, whatever that ultimate goal looks like in 10, 15, 20 years, it's unlikely you're going to be able to do that yourself. So the quicker you drop that that ego and find the people around you uh, who's going to get you there. Again, there's another great book, um, Who Not How, um, Dan Sullivan. Mm -hmm. And just talk about, yeah, you can have all the goals you want, but it's who do you know around you that's either going to, you know, either work internally within your team or that help to connect you to other people that are going to get you towards that ultimate goal. So I, I think ego is nice to some degree, but I think the quicker you understand that you don't know everything in business. Uh, I mean, lost most of us didn't go to school and then suddenly come out of school and say, I want to be a business owner. You know, they, they usually fall into it by having a good trade or a good skill set and then suddenly they're, they've got this business worth a million or two million and it's like well I don't know how I got there what do I need to do to grow to the next level so yeah there's so many people out there especially in the landscape industry who are so humble and willing to share information with others so it's probably one of the best industries out there for people being willing to do that so more questions you ask the more time you spend listening I think that's just going to really help you and your business growth in the future. Nice. Love Robert, that. when you were growing, were there a lot of companies like yours or you like meaning the growth and the size, or you were basically putting together your own beast by yourself? Um, yes. Within my market, there, there was a few other companies like ours. I mean, I felt as though at the beginning we were uh, groundbreaking in terms of not only the professionalism and the branding and the trucks and then the whole sales and marketing and then hiring the right people. So I always felt as though we were leading the way in our industry. And then, um, you know, then people start to copy you. You know, it's funny how you, you then start seeing similar trucks to yours driving down the streets. You start to see people in uniform. So, I mean, that in some ways it allowed us to try and stay ahead of the game, making sure we're staying ahead of our competitors. Um, but uh, you know it gets tougher every single year because you know you're there's so many things you can latch on to but we were always again learning we we're always looking at new technology and seeing what what can we differentiate our company compared to the company yeah as much as copying drive you insane it's 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 really a compliment like they're they're seeing greatness in you guys and they're like okay if if it's working for them let's implement that in our side like it drives us and our ego doesn't like it because it it knows that that's what we're doing to make money and then somebody copies it pisses you off i mean i actually just i i sort of felt like that Actually, I uh, just recently had an incident where I sort of felt like I was being copied, but 
it was really respect. Like the guy saw something great in me and he wanted to be, give me like, Hey, if it's working for Dwayne, he's very professional. I want to be like that. And it created like this anger for like 10, 12 years. And, um, I actually just cleaned it up with him. Uh, was it this, uh, was it January, Joshua? It was January. Yeah, January yeah, February, I yeah. cleaned it up with him. And after maybe 15, 16 years of just being upset, feeling like I was being copied. And, and there was actually times that I actually copied them too, you know, but um, I noticed they were popping up on the radar from doing some of the things we were doing. And uh, I took it as um, a threat. And this whole 15, 16 years of anger, I was able to shake his hand and basically thank him, you mean, for you mean what he did? He created an animal in me. So we created an animal in each other. And actually, we're we're hanging out next week. You know what I mean? So it's pretty pretty nice. Yeah, we're hanging out <laughs> cool. in Florida That's next awesome. week. So it's pretty nice. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, for sure. Cool. I mean, oftentimes guys in this business, especially lead by ego, and again, that's a very common thing. It's always about trying to beat the competition. Your focus is so hard chasing that competition that you're behind them watching them and as they move you're moving so if you're in that path and you're constantly focused on chasing tails then you're always going to be behind them that's what it is now if each day you decide that you're going to be better than you were no one else but you were yesterday every day you're growing beyond where you were the day before and you're killing your clone from the day before and you're growing then you won't have competition because you're going to be one-upping yourself not chasing somebody else's tail and that eventually puts you out in front when you're creating your own world focused on your ideal client and their exact needs wants and has a shift with economy and shift with time that you're shifting and moving with them and it's it's such an important piece there for sure to make sure that you're you know holding on to the zig and the zag of the, of the business world for sure but uh, only staying in competition with yourself and constantly improving that way keeping your eyes out seeing you know look at the lay of the land look for the tigers look for the gazelles but at the same time you're like i'm forging my own path and i know we're on the right track and i'm gonna just keep focusing on being better than i was yesterday not chasing somebody else no, no, well said well said yeah you, you burn up so so much energy and trying to chase other people and getting burnt with actions of other people and just focus on yourself and your team members and how, how can you improve. So yeah, I'm not a yeah. believer in that. Cool. Now, Robert, so you sold the company, then what, what'd you do next? What are you doing now? I'm coaching. I love coaching people. Nice. Um, so yeah, I, you know, left, uh, I don't know, roughly three, four years ago and, um, I just felt as though I still so much to give and everything I'd learned I wanted to be able to share with other people. So moved into doing coaching. So coach landscape companies, coach other contractors, all people, companies around the country, in fact, even across to into Europe, and just help them make less mistakes than I did, because I made quite a few of them. Mm -hmm. But you know, if there's a way in which they can make less mistakes and come up with some type of a, a planned exit and really uh, utilize that value of the company and build up that value then i feel as though i've done done my job so um yeah i love i love being able to go in and help people and you know especially now there's so many people out there having challenges with them um, labor material challenges prices going up so there's a lot of challenges out there mm -hmm. But uh, nice being able to help. You know, them. Robert, what's your commonality like when you go into these companies and just maybe one or two biggest biggest common issues that you see a lot that once you get that out of the way, then you can start working on some of the other stuff. Like, what is that? Um, first of all, 
getting the owners or leadership team to be open to listening and learning and making changes. And then the second piece is really around the people part, is making sure that they have the right people in place and they're giving them enough direction and um, enough KPIs and where, where's the company going. I think once you have that type of alignment, you can really take that company to another level. Nice. Okay. That's awesome. Now, Robert, do you, do you focus on when you're coaching companies or even developing companies, focusing on starting with the end in mind, that whole concept, is that something that you guys work with? Very much so. Yeah. And how does that impact decisions and all that for anyone out there that doesn't understand what that is? No, I mean, it's, it's, it's huge in terms of a lot of people just, uh, I think, just get consumed with dealing with the day-to-day fires that come in. And I'm more focused on where's the company going? Where, where do you want to be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years? And then start working backwards. You know, if you want some type of a successful exit, or that exit might even be spending more time working you know, on, you know, with the family and you have somebody else running the business, then what do we need to do? Do to get to that point. What are some of the building blocks or the people or things we need to put in place to get there, and then start working back. Uh, it might take, you know, one, two, three years to get there, but um, let's let's think about the end in mind. Now, first. Robert, should all of That's us so be important. focusing? It's kind of like if if you're going to go on vacation, you had you know two weeks off, and you're like, all right, well, I'm just going to get in a car and drive. That's how most people run their businesses, right? They just get in the car and they just drive okay. and they don't even know where they're going. They're yep. just kind of, well, they're in a car and they're not working, so they don't care. They're having a good time and maybe they catch a sunset, maybe they catch the beach, who knows, wherever they go. But like most people that do tr- plan vacations, they say, look, I want to get to, let's just say, you know, Scottsdale, Arizona is my target. What's the fastest way there? How long is it going to take uh-huh. us to get there? What kind of pitfalls will we run into? Mm-hmm. Where's the traffic? Who can we jump, have, you know, pay to sit in the car with us as we go through this process so they can tell us and guide us as we move through this crazy thing called life. And, you know, that's ultimately the better way, but knowing your, your goal, your end, um, what you're ending is going to be a huge part of that whole success cycle. So you can focus all your attention to getting there for sure. No, no, that's hugely important. And uh, I can't stress that enough when I go into companies. And, you know, sometimes it'll take a while to get to that mm-hmm. point. But, um, you know, once that light bulb comes on, it's like, wow, okay. Did they even think about that? And it, uh, it's definitely a game changer. For sure. And, you know, even quantifying exactly why they're in business. Is it just to keep them busy? Is it to, you know, provide a better family life for their family and their friends and all that stuff? Is it to... Uh, for achievement, like what is the big pusher here? And if it is, you better be really, really real with yourself and not pretend it's for the family when really it's for you or pretend it's for, Mm -hmm. you know, achievement, but really it's for, you know, something that you can walk around and pound your chest and wear the big name and say, look, I own that, you know, so to be really authentic and real and deep down vulnerable to figure out what that is so that you can really direct that. Because if you're faking it, it's going to be obvious after a while and you're not going to be happy with the results anyway. Yeah, and people people are not going to follow you. Yeah, exactly. People are not following you in the company, and uh, you're going to get people leaving the company because you're not genuine. You don't have that real purpose. You're not living that purpose. So if you're real about it and you've got something that people can get behind, then more likely they're going to your retention is going to dramatically increase. Absolutely. 
Well, Robert, it's been a ton of fun here. I've really uh, enjoyed our conversation. So how can people find you? You say that you do coaching now and, and all of that. How can people find you and, and see what you're about and see if you're a good fit for them to help them get to the next level? Yeah, for sure. No, um, so LinkedIn, uh, Robert Clinkenbeard at LinkedIn. And then uh, my website, which is the Radix Group, LLC.com. So R-A-D-I-X. So the Radix Group, LLC.com. And then, you know, people can check out some of my courses. Uh, I've got my books on sale there. And uh, yeah, I'd love for people to check it out and see if there's any way I can help them out. Well, I appreciate that, Robert. And anybody out there listening, check out Robert. He's he's the real deal. He's done some amazing things, and I'm sure he has lots of information within his books and teaching and training that can help you get to the next level and uh, you know be able to live that life that you've always dreamed of and keep focused on what that end goal might be. If it's selling, if it's uh, you know eventually you want to cash out or you want to give it off to your children or whatever that goal might be. So. Um, yeah. So guys, if you like what you hear today on the podcast, you know, our goal is to impact uh, and empower, you know, one or two million uh, contractors out there in the next five years. So if you have a friend, just one or two friends that you think would uh, see value in, in listening to a podcast like this, um, share it with them. It's the best thing. It's the biggest honor you can give us is to to share what we do uh, in order to, to help more and more people. So that's really how we're going to get there and how the whole entire industry is going to level up based on everybody having more communication, not trying to you know, hide all their ideas and keep all those away, but to share them because then we all grow and we all benefit from it. So thanks again, Robert. And uh, everyone, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back with you next week.